Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He done it at last, Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. But we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello everybody, welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 32, the second show for 2018. Lovely to have you with us. Andy Murray in the host seat, talking all things golf alongside Golf Australia media manager and co-host of Inside the Ropes, Mark Hayes. Hazy, how are you, my friend? Oh, I'm very well, Murray. Thanks for having us back in again. Have another crack at this. I probably stuffed up a couple of things last week. So I've been told on Twitter, so I better I better do better this time. Well, it wouldn't be Inside the Ropes if we didn't stuff up a few things on the way through. One bloke who never stuffs anything up is Mike Clayton. It's Blake out Clayton in uh, in the expert seat for the show. Hello, Mike. Andy, how is it? Nice, it, to, it, nice lovely to, to see, see you here. again. It's been... <laughs> Too long. It has been too long. Uh, a lot of people tuned in last week on the radio show, podcasts. People have subscribed to the podcast, and we'll tell you how to do that in a moment. But people who have subscribed to the podcast and listened to us throughout you know exactly what Inside the Ropes is. But people who tuned into the radio show version may have been thinking, well, who are these blokes and what the hell is this that I'm listening to? Well, Inside the Ropes is an all-things golf podcast that we started doing last year. Hazy and Clates with a cast of thousands, and we are just, well, some of us are, their golfing credentials speak for themselves. <laughs> for others like you and I, Hazy, we're enthusiasts who love the game. And on a weekly basis, we sit down in a little dark room and talk about golf. And that's what we do. Bit of a rant here and there. Bit of a follow-up of every Australian conceivably that we can find around the world. Mm. And uh, just generally just a bit of a chit-chat about the hot topics. Whatever's been going on that week. And we thank all the listeners uh, for tuning in last week to the first show. Back just a reminder to new listeners, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast Stitcher which is Hazy's preferred uh, <laughs> provider of all things podcasts. Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from in 2008, except for this week's episode, we'll be recording on a Wednesday. So look out for your weekly dose of Inside the Ropes each Wednesday. Uh, if you're a Twitter user, let us know your thoughts on the show and some of the topics we put on the table at Inside the underscore Ropes. Magnificent. And we will in coming weeks. Next time, probably Clates comes back in. We'll have another Ask Clates section oh, that's yes. going to be... Driven by Twitter. Clates loves that. He, he feigns indifference towards it, but he absolutely loves it. You do love it. I, yeah, I, well, I love it. Well, not arguing, but, you know. <laughs> yes, you yeah, do. In fact, Twitter's there's been an interesting discussion on the golf ball. Jack Nicholas suggesting that the golf ball, as he has for years, is going too far, and at some point... Where do you stand on that, Clates? <laughs> well, not hard to guess where I stand on that, but, you know, it's... A, a debate primarily driven by Americans: Don't take our guns and don't take our thirty yards. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's in the same category. It's in the same category. You know, and it's just—is there anyone you're not blueing with on Twitter at the moment? Every time I tune in, you know, like Donald Trump. A, you're prolific. B, you tweet at all hours of the day, and C, you just haven't—you're fighting with everyone. Is there anyone you're not fighting well, with? I'm in only the world fighting of... about the ball. I'm only fighting about these guys who are owned by the equipment companies who won't own up to it, who are pushing their line. 
And, and when I say companies, I would I'll clarify that and say company. Which is the one that begins with T. Well, we did a podcast with Roger Cleveland last year on State of the Game with Jeff Shackelford, and we were talking about this. And I said, well, the, the manufacturers. He said, no, the manufacturer. Mm. So Roger Cleveland, for those who don't know, started off Cleveland Classics, made the best clubs in the world in the 80s, the best drivers, reinvented the wedge, great club maker, the best club maker ever probably with Carsten Solheim, genius. Mm. Now works for Callaway. And he said, no, he was very careful to point, no, the manufacturer. So there's a, you know, a blatant push by the manufacturer of the best golf ball who, and, who, and who have always made the best golf ball. I've played with them for years, our great balls, to resist any attempt to stop the ball going further. And you know, it's decimated the intent of the classic courses. But people get consumed by the score. They think if the scores are high, it's all okay. So they grow ruffle over these golf courses, open courses. And like Shambly came on and said, well, Marion, it won over par one. Of course, it's not obsolete. Mm. Well, it's obsolete if, in terms of how it was meant to play. But it's not obsolete if you grow long grass everywhere. And you, you can always manipulate the score. Well, he called. He called you a. He called you a nasty name yesterday. I did. Didn't he? Oh, Brandon. Brandon. Yeah, no, he did. He, he, he labelled you, and I'll, I'll hopefully try and find the tweet here. But he called you mono. He said anyone who believes in your line of thinking that the golden age of course design is the only way that courses should be designed, and you can't design great courses that are eight thousand metres and beyond. He called you mono, mono, monoeastic mono or something or other. I don't know. I've never seen the word before, but it sounded nasty. This is Brandle, my mate Brandle. Your mate Brandle, who you blew with last year. Now you're having a blue with him about all of this. I'd call him ultra crepidarian, someone who talks about a subject of which they have no knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> which would be kind of a little unfair because you know, he says lots of good things. But you know, There's the title of our podcast this week. That's, 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 good luck spelling that. It's <laughs> fine if you want to grow rough over a great course like Marion or Oakland mm. Hills or Olympic, but we don't want to grow rough over Kingsneath and Royal Melbourne because it completely defeats the point of them. So down in Australia, we have no voice in this argument. It's the USGA and the RNA and Titleist and the manufacturer. We have no voice. So what happens to our core? I don't care what if you want to smother all your golf courses in rough and ruin the concept to manipulate a winning score in an open championship. But what happens to Australia? We don't want to ruin Kingston Heath by growing ruffle over it because it destroys Mackenzie's concept of what that golf course is and was, and, and Royal Melbourne and the Lakes. That's a great point. Don't yeah. waste your breath arguing with Brandall, mate. This is the guy who no. wants 10,000-yard championship courses, yeah. and apparently they, he thinks the, the, world's still, the earth is still expanding. I mean, we just have not got the earth to give to more golf courses. We're fighting to keep the ones we've got. Yeah. Well, they believe the game is played in the air, don't they? Their, their, their view is the game is just played by flying the ball 320 metres mm. or yards and hitting it into the middle of a soft green that doesn't roll out. That's yeah. their, that seems to be their idea and now. They, and, they keep throw, and they keep throwing in the... Oh, these guys are better athletes and you know the ball oh, runs further oh, on the yeah, fairways. And, well, James Hahn wants you to stop players going to yeah, the gym. we we'll go back to gutter percha, which is all fine. Mm. You can have all those... Uh, it's, some of them are true, some of them are not. I mean, don't tell me anyone's a better athlete than Sam Snead or Greg Norman or Jack Nicholas or Seve Ballesteros. They were great athletes. Mm -hmm. But all of that's fine, but it's a complete distortion of how the golf courses play and how they were supposed to play. And, from, from Rob Williamson, a PGA Tour member, a great tweet this week. Driving distances, 1991. I know you saw this, Clates. John Daly, 288.9 yards. He was first ranked first on tour. 2018, Graham McDowell, 290.3 yards, so 0.4 of a yard further, a bit over a foot. 
He's now in 159th place on tour. And, and McDowell's a pop gunner compared with John Daly. I mean, Daly was, no one could believe how far John Daly hit it in that 91 PGA. I mean, it was unbelievable. So we like Lucas Herbert. We all like Lucas Herbert yeah. here, right? Why are the why is a young pro like like Lucas Herbert so dogmatic in his defence of the ball when he's talking to someone like you? Has do are you just a, are you a are you a member and a subscriber to a bygone era? And the Lucas Herberts of the world and the Brandel Shambleys are singing the same hymn book. They're the modern age of golf, or where's well, why is there this chasm between where you're at? And where these guys are at. Because I don't think they have any respect for the intent of the great architects. I mean, when Mackenzie and Dan Souter set out the first at Royal Melbourne at Kingston, there was a par five. It was intended to be a long two-shot hole, a drive in a three-water, a drive in a three or a four-iron. When Thomas Peters in the foursomes at the World Cup drives Nicholas Colsart's 80 yards from the green, <sighs> or when John Rahm drives it on top of the hill at the 17th at Kingston Heath, which was a par five when it was built, where you can see the green. It's completely out of balance. It's com- so my view is that when and you, you can do oh, it's just an old fart going back. Yeah, and things yeah. were better in his time, <laughs> but when the game started, back you know, young Tom Morrison, there was a clear mismatch between the difficulty of the course and the test and the equipment they were using. So lawn mowers were terrible, so they were putting on greens that were like fairways. You know, they were playing with lousy golf balls, a ridiculous golf course compared to what they play with now, wooden shafted clubs. It was a really difficult game. And the court, you know, it took them 30 or 40 years to break 300 in the Open Championship. So 75 was a great round. In the set, there was a mismatch between how difficult the course was and the equipment they were playing with. And when steel shafts came in and better manufactured golf balls, there was a pretty good balance for 60 or 70 years between 930. When Jones won the Grand Slam with Hickory, then it moved to steel shafts. Hogan and Nelson were the, the, the first to that era to play with steel shafts. So from the mid-30s through to the mid-90s, no one suggested the ball was going too far. Mm. There was a great balance between the best players and a 7,000-yard championship golf, golf course. course. Yeah, sure. Then you get graphite shafts, 45 inches long, heads like you know frying pan heads made of titanium, and a, and a pinnacle that they can now make spin that goes straight. And there's a com- and the balance has completely switched in favour of the player over over the great old golf courses that Mackenzie built, the great old championship courses of the world. So you either grow long grass all over them to, to manipulate yeah, the score, yeah. or every hole becomes a drive and a wedge. So last year on the PGA Tour, it took Dustin Johnson until October in Boston to hit more than a six iron into a par four. <laughs> I mean, clearly that wasn't what golf was meant to be. I mean, golf was meant to be a a mix of you know, long one-shot holes where you hit long irons and woods into par threes, a mix of great long two-shot par fours where you're hitting, you know, three, four, five, and six irons, and fairway woods on occasion, great short two-shot par fives like the Thurnth or Augusta, which some days would drive a three-wood, some days would drive a six-iron layup wedge, and lo- and three-shot par fives. Well, that's three-shot par fives are now extinct. The cross bunkers at the 17th at Royal Melbourne that only Greg could really carry in the 80s when we played the Open there, everyone pretty much laid up short or you went alongside them or perhaps down when you carried over them. Now they're not even in play. For Lucas Herbert, they're not even in play. So I'd say to Lucas, what about, you know, well, ask, ask me, who knows much? Who knows more about golf design, Lucas Herbert or Alistair McKenzie? Well, I know where I'm going to back. Or Brandel Chambly. So the, the great designers who left the great courses for us to play 
their intent has completely been obsoleted by the ball for the best players. So, which is why the question comes down: Do you bifurcate the game? Mm. And if you take thirty yards off Dustin Johnson, that doesn't mean that you take thirty yards off me or you, because the ball I think goes exponentially further if you swing it at one hundred and fifteen miles an hour. That's that's the, entirely which true. Which was the point of Brad Klein's tweet. Yeah. You know, this makes no difference. You know, the average player, the average American, don't take my guns, don't take my 30 yards. <laughs> you know, there's the title. There's, there's the, the title of this podcast. If you take 30 yards off Dustin Johnson, i.e. take him back to John Daly length, which was still ridiculous, well, yeah, mm. then you're not taking 30 yards off Mary Jones, who hits it 100 yards. Yeah. She's not all of a sudden hitting it 70 yards. No, I th- She's I think still going to hit it 100 yards. I think it's really important that we say... No one's diminishing the great research that Titleist and others do. Like, it's fantastic. The, the technology is, you know, world-class in any sport. Awesome. Um, what we're arguing is the courses have changed and the way you play them has changed. And the technology kicks in for these elite pros when the club head speed reaches a certain speed. But underneath that, it's not going to rip 30 yards off the average chopper like mm, you and I, mm, Andy. Mm, mm. It's just not. So instead of going... So it's going to take... Uh, as Clayt says, it's going to take Jason Day from 320 to 290. What it's going to do for you and me is it's going to take us from 220 to 218. Mm, it mm. really isn't going to make that much difference. And, and uh, you know, I love Lucas, and I think most of the things he, he engages yep. in on Twitter are awesome, but he's a, he's a muscly little beast, and he relies on smashing it out there, among other things. He's got heaps of different skills to attack the game. He'll still have the advantage over... You know, lesser mortals who can't hit it as far as him. He, he because he's a better gym worker. He's a he's got better torsion. He's got all sorts of things going for him. Yeah, yeah it, all that stuff. Yeah. But, and yeah. What what Americans who get involved in the debate don't understand because they're Americans. Don't take my guns. Don't take my twenty yards, thirty yards. <laughs> is that this happened in 1982 or three? The whole world gave up in theory twenty or thirty yards because they were forced to play with a big ball. Now that was a good decision. But the whole that has never it never entered an American's head that the whole world gave up in theory thirty yards when they were forced to play with a big ball, and, and everyone no one gave up golf, almost everyone did it without complaint. Okay, well that's you know a sensible decision. We can't be it's crazy to have two size two different size golf balls, and you know that's what happened, and it was fine. The, the game carried on. In fact, arguably it was in Australia it was the strongest period of membership and coincided with Greg's fame and you know the, the golf was flying and but no one gave no one gave up golf because they were forced to play with a ball that went 20 yards shorter we could talk about this for a long time L- last question I'll ask on this so what's the future Clates is it bastardizing the classic courses to make them competitive to rein the long hitters in or is the next part of the evolution of this creating eight and a half thousand yard cl- golf courses that that absorb the great design characteristics of the six and a half thousand yard courses, but you stretch them out over another kilometre and a half. And I, and I know we're, we're tr- we, the reason we don't want to do that is because they're going to cost more. Mm. There's not as much land. The great most by, by and large, the great land's already taken. Well, what do we do? Well, What's the future? Well, well, the future is to fix the ball. Right? Simple yeah, as that. The, right? the future is for the RNA and the USGA, whose job it was or is to run two opens and to maintain the skill it takes to play the game. Clearly, it's much easier to drive the ball now for good players because the club's so easy to hit. Okay. But it's also to maintain the integrity of the golf course. That was the, the whole job was to keep the equipment reined into a point where you maintain the integrity of the golf courses. And the RNA, when they play the Open at St Andrews now, the second tee's on the Himalayas putting course. 
Yeah. The, the ninth green's on the Eden course. This is no, a, yeah, this the, is fascinating. The ninth green's on the new course. So, yeah. Sorry, the ninth tee's on the new course. The 14th tee's on the Eden course. The 17th tee's out of bounds. So, so they've clearly recognised, while one half of them is arguing, well, there's no evidence that the ball's going any further. <laughs> well, there's no evidence smoking causes cancer. We all swallowed that for 40 years. And you He's know, informed it, eh? And at the same time, they're putting tees on other golf courses to try and you know, maintain some integrity <laughs> of the greatest course in the world. You know, we're enjoying this enormously, right? You know who's terrified right now? is Simon Magdulski, who's going to be joining us, the Director of Rules and Handicapping for Golf Australia, talking about the new yeah. global handicapping system. He's terrified. He th- Why, I, I feel like, I feel like a, a sheep that's about to be thrown into the lion's <laughs> den here. Can you just get it out of the system now so you go easy well, on Simon well, when he joins us? Well, because we're going to twist his handicap <laughs> argument around to golf architecture again. So if you're not into golf architecture, turn off now. <laughs> no, uh, don't turn off now. But... No, don't do that. Brian McPherson is going to join us well on the way through. Uh, I feel like we could go on the... And I don't think it'll be the last time we have this conversation on Inside the Ropes. Is that fair to suggest we might no, I think revisit we'll probably it revisit through? it. I think my, my point on your question then, Andy, is um, we've got to be careful uh, that we don't alter the 99.8% of courses that never hold an elite no, championship. Exactly right. yep. uh, and, you know, you still want to make them fun. If we're not having fun with our own golf, then we're in massive trouble. Because yep. we're talking about the absolute top end of town... Uh, one week a year, maybe on an incredibly small percentage of courses. So, you know, in some ways, the debate um, doesn't really affect what happens at the lower end. Yeah, it's a good point you raise. So. Clates, do you like watching Justin Thomas play? I mean, has the game changed so much that you don't you don't get the same kind of visceral kind of enjoyment out of watching the modern day play? Because we'll, we need to talk about Justin Thomas. We do. Not for the first time, but... He wins the Honda playoff on the first hole against Luke List, and we'll expand on that. But do you yeah, do you I, like watching the modern day players? Well, the, my problem is that I loved when I was fourteen watching Lenny Watkins and Jack Nicholson. So you always think. So someone said the other day, the music you listen to the whole, your whole life is the music you listen to between when you're seventeen <laughs> and twenty two. That's kind of true. It's true in my case, not my wife's, but my case. But um, what is that, Clay? Just out of interest. What's that? What's going what did you on, listen the, to? on the iPod right now? Oh, well, I don't have an iPod. No, okay, I don't right. get the iPod. But if you know, I'm, I'm listen, I, I listen to Cat B- Stevens and Elton John and you BGs? Know, yeah, the BGs, yeah, well, yeah, well, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and that'll do. You yeah, know, all right. those guys. Yep. Um, Carly Simon and yeah, James good. Taylor and yeah, that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, so you're not you you're so, not. You're, so, yeah. so I need to imagine what a 14 year old. I'll stop right now. What a 14 year old who's watching now, he's thinking Justin Thomas is my Johnny Miller, which is, so yeah, I, I like watching good golf and good golf swings and he plays well and he's a good, he's a terrific player. So yeah, I like, I like watching him play. I mean, I don't like, I don't, I, I mean, I'm well over the bear trap and I mean, I don't need to, for the 740, if you were playing a drinking game, you'd be an alcoholic if you did, you know, if you watched the PGA Tour last week and had a drink every time oh, they yeah. mentioned the bear trap. Yes. Yeah, true. But, you know, it's a golf tournament. It was fun. It was interesting. I, I mean, I think everyone had, there was the only interest last week, aside from what happened in the playoff, was how Tiger played. Mm, which because, we'll, because it was Tiger's first good tournament in years. Which we'll get to, but do, let's do, not get away from Justin Thomas for the time being. Do you think Justin Thomas would be like Taylor Swift or Foo Fighters? Or <laughs> no, what? I have no idea what Justin Thomas <laughs> So he's won four of his last 13 starts. In that 13 start stretch, he's had 11 top 20s. 
His worst his worst performance in that thirteen tournament stretch was a tie for forty seventh at the BMW. He he's got this unbelievable win percentage uh, of of tee up win v miss cut. It's it's, it's kind mm. of like although he's not missing many cuts anymore. No. That's the one thing about him. He seems to have tightened that yeah, part of his game. He missed three in a row in the middle of last year, didn't yeah, he? And then I think he, he's been just before the maybe the open was one of those. I know he missed the cut in the open. He had that mini make ten on nine or ten on. The six, maybe. But yeah, anyway. that's right. He did too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, yeah, he's a terrific player. Is he? Where does he sit? Right. I mean, he's third in the world now, so he's in the conversation as the best player on the planet. But has he got more range to his game than, say, Dustin Johnson? Is he? Is he Actually, more natural player than Johnson? No, Johnson's the most natural player ever, isn't he? One is of he? them. He's up there. Why? Well, just in terms of. You know, in, intu- yeah. Intuitive feel for the game, ability to play. A... Well, it's hard to tell how much. It goes back to what we. What we were talking about, how do you? I mean, I haven't watched them enough, but how much feel can you have with a massive driver and a oh, ball that goes straight and every hole's a wedge? I mean, I, mean, I mean, Bubba's clearly got the, you know, he won at Riviera, he's clearly got the he really moves the ball around, but mm. not many people, people play like that anymore. It's just bombs away and wedge it on. And mm. I think what know. separates Justin Thomas, Andy, is his, his freedom to attack the game, even when he won the PGA Championship to get into that, you know legendary major winners category. He came to the ninth or 10th or 11th hole there and just threw caution to the wind. And, it, and it, you know, he got hot. But his his rationale was boom or bust. Yeah. And I think that's the way he plays. You know, and that shows up in those stats you were just talking about. Like his his ratio of cuts and wins mm. is, is incredible. And um, he, he's playing with this ridiculous freedom, which, you know, winning $2 million checks allows you to do. Uh, and, he, and he's... When he's on, he's on, he's on, and and it's hard to beat him. It really is. Well, his record tells you that it's a phenomenal. It's a phenomenal CV that he's putting together, and we are entering that phase of the year where we're not too far away from, you know, the big four being contested with a couple of other major ones in the mid when major and inverted commas in the mix. So, we'll see how he, you know, how he kind of performs once that once those tournaments are kind of on us. So, so some of your friends try to take it into their own hands and try and uh, nobble him a different way, Andy. So what did you think about this? I mean, a bit of heckling from the gallery, get in the bunker. Apparently he, he's he gone on the record and suggested that there was more said than just the get in the bunker line. There was there was things being said to him and to Luke List that, that weren't picked up by the microphone before he kind of ran, reached the end of his tether. He's uh, just... Are we being a bit... Um, are, are we being a bit sensitive as players? If we're and he sort of half admitted at the end of it through his kind of social media contributions that maybe I was a bit over the top, you know, having the guy removed. But is that what we want our pros doing? Stopping turning around talent security to chuck a bloke out? Um, I'm not for pros being precious about much at all, but I do think they need to be able to draw the line. I like. I think it comes down to. a comfort factor for and security factor for not only the players but the guys in the gallery around the idiots that are yelling this stuff out mm. I, I think we need to move with the times I think you know we don't need to be precious about too many things in golf I think quite the opposite in, in a general sense but that's just a matter of in my opinion a matter of common decency and common courtesy you don't abuse people in the street why the hell would you do it there I paid me 20 bucks to come in Hazy I should be allowed to say what I want Remember, but I don't believe that. What about you know the clever, witty stuff that would make people laugh and not make them feel threatened or you know chastised or anything like that? You know, yeah. what about when Douglas Jardine was playing body line and the guys yelled out from the fence behind the SCG um, 
boundary line, they're saying, get your dirty hands off our flies, Jardine. You know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. That You know, that's clever. It's witty. It's not, It's not. you know, get in the bunker, you idiot, or something like that. That's just dross New York crap. Has it always been around? Like, like sort of heckling? I, and- don't, I don't know in America. It was, it's never, it was never, and is never, and hasn't ever been, a, and will never be a part of golf watching in Britain and Australia, because mm. why would you yell out at a, why would you say something to a player? I mean, what are you going to say to Seve that's, just watching mm. play, and you, you, it's just—it's a uniquely American phenomenon that f- sports fans in golf, as every other sport over there, feel free to offer a comment. And I was at the U.S. Open at Bethpage when, I mean, Huggy and I walked around; it was just staggering what they were yelling out. It's like, feel free to offer any piece of advice to Sergio. Was going through the you know the regripping thing, and he complained about the weather. You know, he said if. If Tiger had been playing, they would have called it off, which was a stupid thing to say mm. on the Friday. On the Saturday, Sergio was just walking down the fairway and Huggy and I were standing there watching him and some guy screamed out, how's the weather for you today, Serge? Huh? It's like, going, you idiot. It was actually quite funny, but you know, I was like, if that happened in Australia, that crap was doing, mate. Shut up. I mean, find it a football match. You know, football and cricket are slightly different. You know, you're in a... It's a mood an arena. Yeah, yeah that's right. But yeah, it, yeah. You know, in golf, if, if people yelled out in Australia the things they yell out in America, they go, what are you doing, mate? There'd so, be a lot more self-policing here. Well, people would just... You know, it's just never been a culture of the game. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't be. It's not a... You know, you know, it's not like we're stuck in the dark ages here, I don't think. It's like, well, why would you say something to a golfer? Just watch him play and people talk claim, amongst yourselves. People and, claim this to be the kind of tiger effect, that he's bringing a whole lot of people... And this didn't happen at Beth Page, but it, he happened to be playing last week, that he brings people to golf tournaments who aren't golf fans. So they understand etiquette. And there's a huge percentage. I mean, the numbers at the Honda last week were ridiculous. So record mm. crowds, TV ratings up 43%. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, it's a joke. What the, the, he, he, As somebody I read somewhere, he doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it, it's still a real thing. And he gets all these people kind of coming into golf tournaments who don't necessarily understand, you know, the etiquette of the game. Yeah, well, there was every year, and we started noticing after two or three years, Behind the third green at Huntingdale on Sundays, these guys would get together and sit on their little seats, and they were really funny. And they would say stuff that only the players could hear sometimes. <laughs> right. But they were great, and they were there every year, and they were, it was fine. But, you know, the, look at Phoenix. What happens in Phoenix oh, well, with that yeah, party yeah. hole? And I mean, it's just a bunch of drunks going yeah. crazy. But, yeah. you know, it's... The guys at Hayndale were terrific and very funny, and everyone kind of got looked forward to. Even Greg got looked forward to. You know what are these got for? You know, guys got for me this year, <laughs> but they were funny and didn't intrude in the game and weren't stupid and didn't say ridiculous things. But they were clever and you know the Jardine thing. They, they were, hmm. you know, they were great. But, so get him chucked out. We're all for that. Like uh, if it's if it crosses the line. If it crosses the line, I have got no problem with him putting his hand up mm. to do that. I really haven't. Uh, I, we don't want our pros to be unapproachable and, and disengaged from the crowd. Quite the opposite, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you want everyone to feel safe. And, you you know, there's just a line of common decency for me. Yeah, civility. Just, yeah, I don't walk down the street and abuse people. It's disappeared in a lot of places. Just common, yeah. decent civility. But it should exist in some places, I reckon. And it's a bit of a hackneyed sort of word every now and again. But it, it does. there's room yeah. for it on a golf course, I reckon. The relationship between spectator and player is best at the Victorian Open where, oh. you know, I carried for Sue this year and some guy might walk up and say, what club did she hit there? Or, you know, what was she trying to do? Or how's she playing? Or, you know, and you can have those little kind of conversations with, and they can look in her bag and see what she's using. And so, so 
it's a it's a pity that spectators got behind the ropes in a sense. But mm, no, it is. Yeah, and the yeah. and the pros don't balk at that. They you know to a woman and a man they come off the course and say that was actually a really good experience. So. You know, they they don't want to be detached, I don't think. A lot of other stuff to talk about. We're still going to talk about Tiger. We'll run through the results around the world uh, that have occurred last week. We've got to get to Brian McPherson. Simon McNulski going to join us as well. To, talking about the, the new world handicapping system. A load to get through here on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day, my name's Bob Shearer, the 1982 Australian Open champ. When you're listening on the radio, listen to the ropes for all the news and scoops coming up. Welcome back to the show. Eddie Mar, Mark Hayes and Mike Clayton in the studio, joined by the Director of Rules and Handicapping for Golf Australia, a man who I fear for in the next 10 or 15 minutes. He's been listening to Clay's come off the long run already. Simon McDulski joins us on the show. Hello, Simon. Murray, are you okay? Are you, are you all right? You guys? Uh, I am. I, I love Clay's earlier comment where he was saying that golf used to be hard, but now it's really easy. That was terrific. <laughs> good players. We're going to talk about the handicapping system, which, is, which goes to that exact point and how the game should be as easy as possible to play for people of you know whatever talent level they're at. But, Hazy, before we get stuck into that, there is, and you are the um, Director of Rules and Handicapping, rules being the important word to stress here, because the world is now twigged, pun, Ooh, nice. pun, pun intended. I like what you did there. To a bizarre story that occurred this week. It, it, incredible. And, you know, as Simon will also attest in a minute, I'm sure, you know, the there's a whole world that we don't see, this sort of an underworld of rules uh, discussions in forums around the place. But one in particular went absolutely crazy this week, completely viral. And on the line, we have the man who took the photo that caused it to happen. That's Troy Cox, a professional from Far North Queensland at Mossman. G'day, Troy. G'day, guys. How are we? Very well. Thanks for joining us. I just want just try to enlighten and paint the picture for everyone who is listening. You posted a photo of a ball that was very much across over the hole but stayed up above ground because it was held by a twig, hence yeah. Andy's <laughs> magnificent pun. So you put it out there and it went viral all the way to the halls of St Andrews and I dread I imagine not in your wildest dreams you would have imagined that would to happen. No, not at all guys. Um it's quite amazing really how quickly it spread as well. So let's talk about it. Actually I'll introduce Simon into this. Simon maybe you can explain what did happen with the with the ultimate decision. Yeah. Well the hazy as you know as we're saying the ball was chipped from off the green and there was a twig just lying across the hole. Um, the ball came to rest uh, on the twig with a small part of the ball below the hole. Clearly uh, going to fall into the hole. Clearly going to fall yep. into the hole. Yep. Yeah. Um, but a, a highly unusual situation. Uh, people probably tend to think in golf that every situation has, has already been contemplated, that the rules cover it. 
but it's pretty common for you, things if, to get to the RNA and the USGA that just have not happened before, and that's one of the unusual features of our game. So but, if you haven't seen the photo, we'll put that, we'll tweet that photo out. Troy, when you saw the ball resting over the hole the way it was perched on that twig, we'll get the official read, ruling from Simon in a moment, but what did you think was the career? You've obviously played a lot of golf. What yep. did, did you know what the appropriate thing to do was? Uh, no, I've actually can honestly say I got the ruling wrong. <laughs> so what did you do? Uh, well, I would have thought it would be uh, mark the ball as near as you can to the hole and place it. So, as, so it, as it turns out, that was completely wrong. So you just thought we'll suck it up. It didn't drop physically underneath the ground, so I, it's yeah, not in the, the hole. Wasn't, and the flag wasn't holding it. Yeah. So what's mm. Troy done wrong, Simon? Well, in this situation, perhaps what people uh, commonly will think is the ball's not in the hole, so surely they're not going to let me um, just be considered to have holed out with my last shot. That would just be too generous of the RNA. But <laughs> the RNA is a very benevolent organisation. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, their, their view is, look, common sense says that the ball is only going to go in one place, and that's in the hole. So common we, sense. we just consider that um, that ball is holed with its last shot, move on, move on, tee off the next hole. So, Troy, your girlfriend would have been happy with that real ruling? Well, she wasn't happy with mine, I can be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what did, so what ended up happening? So did your Twitter melt? How did you actually go about it? Because that seriously went viral globally. Yeah, it was quite amazing. Um, I just put it on my Facebook to start with, and then the club used it on their Facebook page, and it just took off from there. Could you have imagined what happened? Like, where was the furthest part away in the world that, you know, got back to you directly? Oh, well, it was all over England because my girlfriend happens to be English, so all her friends ran with it. And, uh, yeah, the RNA got involved. (laughs) So did you get to, um, once you signed your card, you signed your card, I suppose. There's nothing you can do about it. No, I've got a disqualifier. (laughs) (laughs) When did you start talking to one another again? How long? Uh, how how many? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Troy, remarkable. It's an inc- as Simon just said, this game uh, throws up. There's, I mean, there's been millions of rounds of golf played, millions of situations presented to players on a daily basis. Um, yeah. It's bizarre that yours was one that I don't think anyone in this room's ever seen before. Has anyone ever seen anything like that before? No. Like as the RNA said, uh, I think they had a similar question about 30 years ago. No, yeah, no wonder everyone didn't know what to do. Well, mate, thanks for taking the photo. Uh, appreciate you sharing it with us all. We're all wiser for knowing. I'm not sure how many times any of us are going to find ourselves in the same situation that you found you, you two found yourself in. But if we do, we know what we can do from now on. Thanks for your yeah, time, mate. Exactly right. Thanks, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it, Troy. Troy Cox joining us. Bizarre stuff. You had. We were talking before we came on air, Clates. You had a, a not a similar situation, but another curiosity that I don't think too many people would understand the ruling was. On the windy Wednesday it was during the week, you were playing at Cranbourne, and one of your playing partners had something quite unusual happen to them. Well, a a significant-sized piece of bark blew across the line and hit his ball. While it was in motion. While it was in motion. So until Matthew that happened to Matthew Southgate last year on the Web.com finals, and he just tapped his ball in and subsequently got a two-shot penalty, plus another two shots for signing an incorrect scorecard, which seems completely ludicrous. So, so I, <laughs> Hello, Simon. So, welcome. Welcome to Inside the Rose. Well, no one, no one, everyone says, well, everyone should know the rules. No one knew that. I guarantee you not one single golf pro mm. in the world knew that rule. They all would have done what Southgate did, which was curse, 
because the, <laughs> because the ball was going yeah, in. Sure, absolutely. And tap it in and write down five and move on. So, uh, so yesterday we're playing. I was playing with, hits a putt in the 13th green at Cranbourne. Bit of bark, windy day, bit of bark blows across the green, hits his ball. And I said, you've got to play that shot again. He looks at me like, what do you mean? I said, you have to play that again. He said, what, for a penalty? I said, no, you take it back and you putt it again. And he he did it, but I'm sure he didn't believe me. Let's get it right. Simon, that was the correct rule, right? Uh, Absolutely correct. And, Mari, I can tell you when this thing bobbed up last year, straight away I got a text from Clayton saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) I did it right. Wow. To to me, (laughs) of course you did. I mean, I can kind of see the logic behind it. You know, if a guy hits a putt and it's it's deflected by something that's blown across his line, then, okay, you can putt it again. But... How many people knew that rule, do you think? It's a highly unusual situation. Is the answer intuitively the, the answer you would come to? You know, obviously not in the um, the case that occurred last year. And your mate the other day, he would have come to a different answer as well. And I'd uh, never seen it happen in 45 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, I'd yeah. never seen it happen. No, there you go. Yeah, common but, sense, though. Uh, yes, common sense. So that's, Simon. That's, that's what the rules modernisation process is all about. So, so Simon, so later in the round... There were leaves blowing across the line. It was the small leaves. So it was the rule. So if you hit a putt and a small leaf blows onto the line and hits the ball, do you, must you play it again? If the leaf is in motion when it deflects the, the ball, when so it's moving. What if it doesn't ground? deflect the ball? What if the ball just carries on the same path? Then you just um, keep playing. Okay. There's, there's no cancellation. So there's an argument about whether, it, whether the ball's deflected or not. That's right. That's right. So that, which there'd, could need, be there'd need to there'd need to be clear evidence that yeah. that it had. If okay. it was, oh look, it might have, but I don't think so. You you just play on. What if I've um, what if I've clearly pushed uh, a six iron into a par four with water right? I've clearly pushed it off the club face, um, but I hit a seagull crossing the fairway <laughs> in mid flight, and it deviates the ball further right into the water. Well, do I get the opportunity, even though I knew my ball was heading into the water anyway, do I say, oh, that seagull knocked that ball in the water mid-flight. Can I have that shot again, please? Well, look, we had an unfortunate incident at the um, the ISPS Honda Women's Australian Open a yeah. couple of weeks ago with Morgan Pressel, where she ended up having a, uh, a mid-air argument with a Corella. Right. Um, which the Corella lost um, in a significant <laughs> way. But because the ball was played from off the putting green... Um, there's, so there's no cancellation. Okay, so you just play from where yeah, it lay. The, yeah, right. the incidents that Clates are talking about, it's because the ball was played from on the putting Okay, right. Okay. There you go. Good to, some, that's good to know. We've got some angry Corellas on the line now, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go to them right now because their language can be a bit potty and we're not going to put them for fear of uh, offending some of the younger audience. Trivia question? Oh, here we go. Rel- relationship between Morgan Pressel and tennis. Um, no. No. Aaron, Aaron Crickstein's niece, I think, or oh, whatever. Wow. Yeah. Or, or cousin or something. Yeah, yeah. You need to get out some more. You really do. <laughs> um, Simon, uh, director, of, you've done the director of rules thing. Tick that. Um, director of handicapping as well. What do we need to know about the new global handicapping system? Bottom line, just pair it all back for us. What's What are the key elements to it that we as golf lovers need to know? For Australian golfers, there aren't a lot of changes that they will see. Their user experience will be pretty similar to to how it is now. Um, Now, in Australia, going back to the start of the decade, there are a lot of handicapping changes. 
Um, and a lot of the changes that are going to come in through the world handicap system to golfers elsewhere in the world, we've already sort of brought those in at the start of this decade. Okay. Um, so not a lot of change for Australian golfers. Uh, we, you know, we currently have an eight of twenty averaging system with a daily rating, statistical daily rating component. That all flows through into the into the world handicap system. Um, nine hole handicapping, the way we do that, remains very much the same. Um, handicapping of social rounds, where you pre-nominate ahead of time that the round is to count, and you play a stableford round under the rules of golf. All of that continues yep. into the world handicap system. So we can now. So all pretty we... similar, but there are a couple of. A um, couple of key changes for Australian golfers. So the four of us can go and have a hit at Royal Burnley when we finish here and play 18 holes just for a social hit and we can count that towards our handicaps. Uh, if you nominate ahead of time that the round is to count and, and your club is happy for you to um, count social rounds, then that round will go in for so the, I, the I, handicap. I, 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 the club I'm a member at, I say I'm playing elsewhere today and I want this card to count. That's all you need to do, is it? You just is that what you do? Is that how that That's works? right. Look, it, it, it is also up to the club to say that yeah, we're happy for our members to, okay. to yep. submit social rounds. Um, most clubs are, but there'll be a few who would prefer not to go down that who, route, and that's that's left up to the club. Yeah, to sure. Return. Who do we but nominate if, that to? Uh, generally, it would if your club has a pro, it would be to the um, to the pro or someone in the pro shop. Um, d- different clubs will have different methods for doing it. If, you, if you're actually rocking up at your course um, and going out, what some clubs will have is just a sheet that you write your name on mm. or enter your name into the computer as you would for a competition. So say on the World Handicapping System, there was going to be a, an extension for some countries anyhow out to 54 handicaps. Is that going to be possible here? The the official GA handicap in Australia will be calculated out to 54. For women. Um, Sorry, for, for women, for men, and for women. So men can be playing off fifty-four. Well, look, th- this will be a global thing. Yep. But the other side to it is that that doesn't mean you can actually play off that full handicap within a competition. Okay. Um, all of our software in Australia will be set up so that clubs will be able to um, set maximum limits for competitions. And what a lot of clubs will do is they'll just continue to operate as they do now and say, maximum handicap limit for the men in this comp is thirty-six. Mm. Maximum handicap for women in the competition is 45, Mm. so nothing will change. That said, there are some clubs who have given us the feedback that they want to find ways to to better engage with golfers who are getting older or new people to the game, and they want to be able to increase their limits out. So for those clubs, again, the software will enable them to to increase limits out. But for for most clubs, it will just be business as usual in that respect. But for for those clubs who want the, the higher limits... They'll be able to go down that path as well. So it's the, the new system actually provides greater flexibility. That sounds fair enough to me. And Simon, what do you say? There's a lot of criticism about the average, the weighting average of eight out of twenty rounds. Some people say we should count every round. Some people say that should be blown out to twelve or fifteen. Uh, what do you say about that? Um, the, the starting point for a handicap system is trying to work out what sort of a score should win a competition. Um, and in Australia, we're looking at something like 40, 42 points winning competitions. Now, in order to get 40 to 42 points winning a competition, you need handicaps to be configured to get those sort of scores. Now, if you allowed handicaps to be reflective of the player's average score, 
winning scores in competitions would be something like 55, 60 points. And that's not what people want. So the eight of 20 is more reflective of um, having winning scores in comps come out at about 40, 42 points. Um, we, in Australia, we've got this eight of 20, average best eight of 20, and then you multiply it by 0.93. And that's where your handicap actually kicks in. Now, what you could do is say that the handicap is the average of the best 15 of your most recent 20 scores multiplied by something like 0.6, and you might get to somewhere around about the same score. That would provide a big benefit for the inconsistent player over the consistent player. The inconsistent player, their scores sort of spread all over the place, so their better scores are going to be... um, a lot further removed from the average. So if they were able to have uh, their handicap be more reflective of their average, their handicaps would move up um, when you compare them against the, the consistent player. So probably the, those people who would like to see more scores being counted, the, the problem with that is you end up providing this big benefit for the inconsistent player over the consistent player. And, and we're, we're actually trying to to flip it back the other way. We want to find ways of um, giving the consistent player more of a chance. So the biggest change in my time as a player was Tony Gresham won the New South Wales Open and the South Australian Open. He was a scratch handicapper. And there were, I think, four guys on scratch in the country. So would it be a good... I mean, I see these kids on plus five and plus six. and Would it be a good thing for scratch-level players to be judged on more rounds so they didn't get a distorted perception of how good they were? Uh, Is that unfair, fair, reasonable, not reasonable? You know, he's on plus six. Well, if he's on plus six, he should be winning the Australian Open if he could remotely play close to his handicap. And I understand what you're saying. So so, so for, for top-class players, should they be judged to a higher standard? Because mostly they don't care about winning a club comp. There's an argument that... Um, low markers handicap should be some sort of status symbol. It should be some sort of specific achievement. I I don't really subscribe to that argument. I think these days we've got terrific ranking systems, world ranking systems, national ranking systems. I think where an elite player gets their gauge on how good they are is really dictated by the, the averaging system. I don't... I, I just don't take the argument okay. that the handicap should be some sort of indicator of whether an elite golfer um, is the best in the country or the second best in the country or the third best. One of the problems, correct me if I'm wrong, was that when Jeff Ogilvie went to play in Britain, he was the best amateur in the country probably at the time, one of them, and he couldn't get in the British amateur because our handicap system was different and his handicap was too high. Yeah, the the whole world amateur golf ranking systems that the RNA and USGA now operate. So it's fixed all that? Well, the, the thing that really catalyzed that was Andrew Martin, who won the Australian Amateur yeah. Championship in 2004, actually beat Jared Lyle in the, in the yeah. final. Um, Andrew had a handicap, I think, of scratch or, or one because that's all that the system would allow him yeah. to get to. His real handicap was something like plus three or four, I think, but his official GGA handicap was, was scratch. Mm. Um, and it was that official handicap that the RNA had to use for the purposes of determining whether he got into the event. And we got this situation where his handicap just wasn't low enough to get yeah. into the British Amateur Championship. And the RNA thought that was a very poor outcome, that the Australian Amateur Champion couldn't get yeah. into their championship. So they introduced the, 
um, the World Amateur Golf okay. Rankings. And we're, and we're in a much better place yeah, for it. Yeah. Last one, the only one from me that... Do, do, do most people feel like their actual mark is a true reflection of how they're playing at any given time through their golfing journey? Uh, do, you, do, you, do you have anecdotal sort of experience of people complaining about that? I think we don't do a good enough job of communicating to golfers what the handicap is actually reflective of. I think too many people would believe that the handicap should be reflective of their average score. And that's just not the case. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, is it their fault that they've got that understanding? Um, I, I don't think so. Intuitively, that's probably what you'd think. You know, as I say, we just need to do a better job of communicating what it is that the handicap is reflective of. And again, if the handicap was reflective of the average score, winning scores would be 55, 60 yeah, sure. points. Yep. The low marker would have absolutely zero chance of winning anything or or placing anything. So there's very good reasons for the handicap system um, operating as it does, but we just need to better explain that to people. I'm going to let him off easy this time, Andy, <clears throat> but put it to Simon is going to come back as a, as a definitive uh, option for this show later in the year where we really grill him. But I do want to mention before he goes... Hey, before see, he shuff- I, I am counting down the sleeps. <laughs> I, I could imagine. But I want to point out, Andy, here, that we had a, a milestone in the Golf Australia office this week, uh, and Mr. Magdorsky here to your left was recognised for his 25 years of service, which is remarkable given he's about 34 years old. You look old. like you're about 19. What are you doing? Uh, Clearly there's not enough what? pressure in your line of work. <laughs> uh, I've never heard you speechless before, Simon. I, Mario, I've got two little kids. Um, uh, it's all about perspective. Yeah, look, five years ago, I, I looked about 20 years younger. So <laughs> right. imagine how young I looked then. Simon, thanks for coming in. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, the two areas of your portfolio are things that we occupy far too much of our lives as golfers. So without people like you doing the job that you do, we'd be far poorer. Um, so good luck with everything that's in front of you. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Murray, thank you. I enjoy coming in. Good on you, Simon McDulski, Director of Rules and Handicapping at Golf Australia. Uh, we'll take a break, come back with more after this. G'day, I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Peter Senior here. Really enjoy listening inside the ropes. Guys have always got something very interesting to talk about. Hope you enjoyed the program. Welcome back to the show. We, we spent a lot of time uh, on Inside the Ropes and in various other golf forums talking about you know, results and focusing on you know, wins and top tens and Tiger and all the rest of it. But that makes up, what, 1% of the professional golf golfing existence for men and women. So we're really lucky, Hazy. You wrote a fantastic piece on a player that we here in Australia have all been interested in for quite some time, Brian McPherson, during the Vic Open. And it sort of got us thinking about what how we might integrate that into the program this year. Yeah, I've always loved Bryden's golf and, more importantly, how he is off the course. Uh, I hadn't seen him for ages and ages. I, I chip him on Twitter about his uh, dapper, sort of fashionistic <laughs> sort of style of work that he does. Like but, himself, of course. Yeah, yeah, much like me, not really. Uh, and 
I had the chance because he was playing the Vic Open, which he hadn't he hadn't played for ages to go and have a chat with him. And I found him as engaging as ever, and wrote a story about his life and what came out of that um, time on tour in the last couple of years was a great story about uh, his story, not the way I wrote it. If I want to put that on the table, <laughs> that was a good story. Was, right? was, a, was a great tale about you know the ups and downs of professional golf. And Bryden, to his credit, um, contacted me afterwards and said, you know, exactly what you just said. We, we, we focus on the 1% of golf. Um, not only should we do better than that, but I'm willing to be the sort of the, the, the guinea pig here of being the 99, representing the 99% of golfers, which I think is an incredible um, stance to take and, and very brave and bold, especially to do it so publicly. So it's with great joy that we welcome Brian McPherson for what's going to become a regular segment on Inside the Ropes, and that's catching up with him, and he'll give us the travails, the good, but more importantly, the bad when it happens too. So, Brian, welcome along, mate. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, let's hope there's more good than bad on the way through, mate. That's what we're all going to be barracking for, and I'm sure that's where you're hoping to see your journey take you as well. Um, where are you at the moment? Right now I'm in Florida, South Florida, uh, just outside of West Palm Beach, uh, Jupiter area with every other golf pro in the world. It right. And what's in front of you professionally? What's the next kind of four to six weeks, you know, playing wise look like for you? Uh, I've had some time off, like Hazy said. I was at the Vic Open, uh, which was awesome. I got to give props to that event because it's just it's turned from a great event to an amazing event. And I think everyone in charge of that is doing such a good job. Um, so keep at it. <laughs> but uh, I've got I've had about four weeks of of training and preparation and I'm getting ready to go and play six of the next seven in China so um, I have to get busy and looking forward to it so one of these things Andy that came up in that story that I'd forgotten because Bryden for those who don't remember won the 2011 I want to say Bryden the amateur championship in Britain yeah that's right yep. which got you into the Masters and and everyone was sort of you're on everyone's radar you come back 2013 play the Australian Open finish fourth in an absolutely crack field like you know absolute props to you for doing that then you uh-huh. you're basically off the grid in a lot of ways like a lot of people haven't seen you play if they've only come to go- tournament golf in the last five years Absolutely. I mean, I think people, I sort of get it in Australia a little bit, and it, it, rightfully so, that some people ask me if I still play golf um, because I've sort of chosen to really make sure that I'm outside of my comfort zone when it comes to how to do everything. And that sometimes doesn't work to my benefit, but I believe over the long run, like you're always better off being outside of your comfort zone. So I sort of lived over here in the States and didn't really you know, do a very good job of putting my life together. And it's only been in the last couple of years with, you know, with my girlfriend and, and a bit more of a, um, a stable life here that it's it started to feel like that. But you're absolutely right. Like some, a lot of people, uh, I sort of fell into and I'm like, uh, I fell off the radar and it's, it's understandable, but I never fell off my own radar, <laughs> which I think it kind of comes back to what, uh, what Mari was saying there is that yeah? I mean, and it's not a, it's not a fault of the golf media because you guys are supplying a demand. People want to see when people are doing well. No one, no one really cares on a consistent basis about the guy that finishes fifteenth. But I think, uh, and you sort of touched on it there, Mari, that you said that oh, we hope that there's going to be uh, more good yeah, than bad. Yeah. Well, that's just not that's just not that's just not true. It doesn't work like that. It's and that's and that's sort of. The thing is that there's a lot of bad and there's a lot of challenges for a small amount of good. And I think that's 
something that's sort of missing from the golf community as a storyline. And uh, and personally, I don't hope that there's more good than bad because you don't learn anything from the good. So the stuff that happens to you that's challenging and that is, in some people's eyes, bad, it's never bad to me, it's never failure to me, but that's the most important stuff that happens in your career because when you learn the most. It sounds like that's a really impressive kind of um, philosophical position to take about the life as a professional golfer. And I think you're to be applauded to uh, for having been able to put it into perspective. That's clearly a position you're at now that you've arrived at through three or four or five years of life, you know, as a professional player and, and a culmination of all of the experiences that you've, um, that you have experienced on the way through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, I've played, you know, two full years on the web.com and wasn't good enough to compete out there, you know, at the right enough level. I was very close, but there was something missing. So you've got to go searching for that something missing and you've got to find, you try things and they don't work and then you try other things and then some of it works and you just figure out a lot of professional golf is just figuring it out and some people figure it out earlier than others. But, it, but none of that really matters because we're all just trying to figure out our own stuff. And I think that's a really important part as well because it's really easy to look, especially seeing as younger professional golfers now are doing so well. You know, you like JT won on the weekend and you get guys like Ricky and Berger and Patrick Rogers and all these young guys that are like in their mid-20s, younger than me, and they're, you know, top... 50, top 20, top five in the world, it's really easy to look at it and go, oh, it's easy. And some of those guys uh, figure it out really early and congratulations to them. But I'm sort of focused on, and I hope other guys are as well, focused on their own stuff and like my own stuff. And you've got to be confident that you'll get there one day. It's not about getting there right now. It's about making sure that you get there eventually because the Half of the battle is just literally staying in the battle. <laughs> just got to keep going. So no, it's, not, it's not a matter of... No question's going to be off limits to you this year. Is that right? We can ask you anything you want, as hard as it gets. You can you can ask me anything. And I, I mean, I'll, steer away from, I'll steer away from politics, but aside from that, ask me anything. So presumably, Bryden, you don't see your long-term future as playing in China. Is that would be right or wrong? No, absolutely. No, yeah, I, I mean... China right now is uh, the China Tour, because we've got the China Tour and the PGA Tour China. Okay. China Tour has seven co-sanctioned events with... scheduled with Asia, with okay. Asia, four with Asia and three with Challenge. Yeah. Uh, three, three Challenge events, by the way, is official money. So if you're a member of the tour, you can play around with the money with. And the winner of that so, so the, ch- in China. The, the Challenge yeah. Tour in Europe, correct. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. And then the, the winner gets a full Europe card. So for me, you like looking at my opportunities to play and to sort of um, work my way up. That is the quickest way, I think, in the mo- in the world at the moment to a main tour because yeah. you win a European tour. It's better than a Q school category, and that's. I mean, I came a hundred and something dollars short of winning the money with last year. So my focus in this off season has been to become more efficient at my game so I can win it by 10,000 this year. Yeah. So I know that I was talking to Jeff Ogilvy about this at the Australian Open last year and it was perhaps somewhat of an exaggeration but he said 
the worst card you can have is a web.com card. He said, any card's better than that. Because he sees guys uh-huh. get, like, I mean, you're an example, guys who get lost out there. He said, you're much better off having uh, an Asian card or a Japanese card or something where you can move from. But he, he said that web.com tour yeah. is full of guys who get lost out there. Sure, there are 25 guys who go uh-huh. up. But of those 25 guys yeah. who go up, 20 of them don't make it and go back down there again. Mm. And you're stuck playing Absolutely. for five, you know, you're stuck playing at a tour where you really can't make much money. And, you know, you. Yeah, well, I can vouch for that part, that's for sure. Yeah. That tour bankrupted me twice. Yeah. So. Um, it's. No, you're absolutely right. It's. Uh, I mean, you're, like you said, the 25 guys graduate, but then only 50 more guys keep their card. 50. Yeah. Like, yeah. what tour in the world gives cards for the next year down to 75th? <laughs> that's yeah. challenging. I mean, yeah. the web.com is its own challenge in its own way because it's a very specific style of golf that is. Uh, that is is not what I'm used to coming from Melbourne Sandals. Okay, so let's swerve completely in a different direction. Tell us about your mum. I find her fascinating. What, uh, yeah. What she does for a living. And, I find her fascinating too. You know, I mean, most people wouldn't know who she was or what she does, but just give us a little summation of what no. your mum's career is about. Well, for so long, she was um, one of the prominent barristers in Melbourne. Uh, she led the fight for women in law in Australia for a long time. She did a lot of things that women had never done in law in Australia before. And she was the first woman to run a case in the high court, as an example. And she was a real giant slayer when it came to being a barrister. And now she's in about, uh, I like it this wrong, in her sixth year, maybe, of, uh, she's a federal court judge um, now, wow. uh, based in Melbourne. Uh, but your federal court, they sort of sit everywhere. And so they sort of move around the judges. They just have like a, a, a home base. Um, so she's in Melbourne. And she is very close to becoming pretty much in charge of all of the native title work for the Australian government. Wow. So she's the one, not the one writing it, she's the one deciding it. So which is, which is that's, a, that's been a passion of hers. She did immigration law forever and public law as well. And uh, she did a lot of stuff, um, you know, with, uh, like she closed down a few of the uh, Christmas Island type things you know when you saw that about eight or nine years ago when they were shut down that was because of her and she's uh but she's a she's a real she's been a real inspiration to me um i don't know if she'll listen to this or not and hear that but the same at the same time it's a real um mr miyagi uh type situation because she never really told me anything about working hard or committing yourself to what you do or sticking at it or pushing through or any of that stuff, she just did what true, like true champions do is she didn't talk about it, she just did it. And and I learned from that example. And it's no surprise that she's like considered, you know, one of the best of the last, you know, twenty years in Melbourne law. And uh, and so yeah, I grew up with that as an example and I didn't even know it until about a year ago, I reckon. I realised it. What a great story. So what does she make of life as a professional golfer? Does it mystify her or she completely understand, understands what you're doing or so, so, something in between? No one, yeah, something, um, something in between. No one understands it except for professional golfers. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, and, and, and only about a third of them understand it and only about <laughs> a one-hundredth of them appreciate it. So um, 
I think she she understands the the chasing what you believe in and what you dream and all that stuff. She doesn't understand the constant expenditures of money that you need to do, yeah. <laughs> and like the, you know, living on planes and all this kind of stuff. She doesn't get that part, but she definitely understands the uh, chasing chasing your yeah. dream. Well, there's a, there's a reality um, and something that hopefully through you, Bryden, on this show, we're going to have a you know a greater sense of and a greater understanding of by the end of 2018 that um, through your you know travails as a professional golfer around the world, uh, you're going to hopefully give us, and it sounds like hopefully is not even going to be part of it, you will give us an insight into what it's like to you know, chase the dream and grind away at a career that does give you more downs than ups, but hopefully... The ups are enough to sustain you, mate. Um, thanks for kicking yeah, it off. They're definitely worth it. Yeah, oh, no, look, we hope so. Um, thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to catching up with again, again with you really soon. Just repeat: When do you go to China? When's the when do you jump on the plane and head over? I'm leaving on Friday uh, US time, um, so it'll be Saturday Aussie time, and uh, I get there for, for Sunday afternoon for the tournament. Starts on Wednesday. A bit weird next week. All right, we'll be keeping an eye on all of that. Mate, thanks for your time and all the very best. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Ryden McPherson joining us on Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. G'day, this is David Graham, and you are Inside the Ropes. Right, I time to wrap it up. There's a whole lot of stuff we haven't got through on Inside the Ropes. Uh, it's been good, though, listening to Simon and Bryden uh, and Elon Balls at the start Uh We didn't get to um, Tiger, and, of course, everyone else is talking about him off the back of the Honda. Were you... I did speak to you earlier in the week, Hazy. Were you just getting a little bit... A little bit tight in the sphincter as Tiger was sort of putting his <laughs> nose in the frame to potentially win the Honda. No, okay, no, no. no. I'm hanging fat with my um, predictions of his demise. Although, oh. you know, the, these predictions, as I said last weekend, he have been going for ten years, so it's not that big a deal, really. But can I just put an apology in? A, a very learned golfer from Brisbane, I believe, called Scott Hayes, no relation, um, chipped me on Twitter last week for saying that Tiger had an outstanding record at Riviera uh, where he played a bit as a kid, but Scott pointed out to me that rightly that he had a dud record at Riviera. So I apologise for the use of the wrong word there, Scott, and well picked up, and I'll take that on the chin. He actually was okay there as a kid, but I did get a fair and accurate whacking. Tiger did say, he said, I love the golf course, I just can't play That's it. That's exactly, he yeah. said it should, it, everything about the course should suit me. I love being there, yeah. but he can't play it. Can't play well it. done, yeah. Scott. Thank you, and apologies. And he's actually, in talking with Scott on Twitter, he's given us a good lead for another story another well, day, which is going to yeah, be he's, fantastic. He's good on Twitter. He, he's good. Yeah, he's yeah. very good. So, Clates, how sustainable is what Tiger's doing at the moment? He's 213th in driving accuracy. He's hit 63 of 140 fairways. And he's hit 106 of 180 greens, which ranks him 206th in greens in regulation. Now, I know you can get caught up in rankings and all that, but, but it does indicate that he's not hitting the ball very straight no. and, he's, and he's putting enormous pressure on his short game. Well, the question is, does he still have the driver yips? I mean, Hank Haney said, Tiger had the driver yips the whole time I coached him. So only Tiger knows that. Only, only he knows what 
it feels like when he stands over the ball, what goes through his head before he hits it and what goes through his hands when he hits it. So if he's got the driver yips, it's hard to compete. You can't compete with those numbers. You can't win with those numbers. Yeah, yeah. When, when he was the best player in the world by a long way, he was, you know, the longest driver, I think in 2000. He might have been, he was in the top 40 in accuracy and he was number one in greens hit. And Jack Nicklaus, his whole career, basically, even though they didn't weren't doing the stats as accurately as now, he was number one in greens hit his whole career. Yeah, right. Nicholas hit 72% of the greens basically his whole career. So you can't win if you don't hit fairways and greens. Unless care. you putt it like Jason does. I don't does. care how well yeah. you putt. You, yeah. can't, you can't win. You can't win with a putt. Well, you can't compete week in, week out unless you're really a great ball striker because there are too many great ball strikers out there. Yeah, yeah. I do want to re- reiterate, Andy, that I want him to win. I don't... No, no, you're not barracking against him. No, 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 no I just, no, I'm just trying that. to predict what he'll actually yeah. do. And one thing that made me think... Oh, he is back, and you know had that sort of sphincter reaction. <laughs> was his club head speed? His driver was off the charts. I think it was out to like one twenty eight. Yeah, the fourth fastest club head speed through the ball recorded this year. Yeah, and I, see that to me says back is okay. Uh, That's what that said to me. So I, you know, we can start by sort of ticking that off as an excuse why he won't do it because he wouldn't be able to get to one twenty eight if he wasn't moving freely. So kudos there. Brandel Shambly, you're the friend of you two, mm-hmm. reckons that he is 80% likely to be in the Ryder Cup team at, um, in Paris. It, it, would you? Can you believe, as you sit here right now on whatever day it is, the 1st of March 2018, that Tiger Woods will be in the Ryder Cup team? Absolutely, he can be in the Ryder I mean, Hank Haney thinks he'll win this year. Uh, Hazy's just about fallen out of uh, his foot joys when you uh, said I that. I think I, I would... Not be surprised if he was in the Ryder Cup team. I think it's a 70 or 80. Yeah, I think it, those, that 70 or 80% chance to be in the team, absolutely. I think if you're the number 10 or 12 or whatever player for, for Europe, you're sitting there going, please pick him. Please pick him. Because if he starts spraying him at Parkton, what's it called? National? Paris now. Oh, yeah, whatever it's called in yeah. Paris there. He's in massive trouble. T- TPC of Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Paris has got the most, some of the most beautiful courses in the world. And they've gone to play on a, yeah, a TP. You can't believe it. I mean, it's just beyond imagination <laughs> that they're playing. I know why they're playing there, but you know, you play at Shanti with that incredible chateau that was in View to a Kill, James Bond, Grace Jones, amazing chateau. Go up the road to Shanti, thirty-six holes, big practice fairway, all the space, the Ryder Cup, beautiful French golf course, and they're playing at a, yeah, it's just. You could have got in a trivia question there easily that would have stumped yeah. us. Yeah, all, all about the money. All about the money. I'm glad he remembers um, View to a Kill for Grace Jones because no one remembers it for who played James Bond. Do they? Uh, no. Because who, he was one of the forgettable ones. Who was it? Was it that was Australian guy? No, no, no. Not no. George Lazenby. Was, yeah. No, no. Not it, was the, it was the blackheaded bloke, wasn't it? It was a trivia question. No, good. <laughs> There's only ever been one good one anyway. I oh, know yeah. two good ones. Yeah. Trivia question. George Lazenby in Royal Melbourne. Oh, There's gee, a good one. Go on. George Lazenby. You know how Royal Melbourne have the members only logo that's only for sale to the members? So yeah. it doesn't have Royal Melbourne written under it, it's just the logo. Yep. And George Lazenby, who was married to Pam Shriver at the time, um, went to the pro shop and he convinced the poor kid in the pro shop to sell him a members only logo shirt. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm going to America and no, I promise I won't wear it here and no one will ever know. So his kid sold him the members logo shirt. So he turned up at the tennis that night. Wearing the members' logo shirt, and of course, got on TV. And there's George Lazenby and the James Bond and the, in his Royal Melbourne members' only logo shirt. I mean, thanks very much, George. Nice one. Kid got the sack. <laughs> Who sold him that? 
That'd be enough for instant dismissal. Roger Moore it was, mate. Was it Roger Moore? Yeah, just he's, checked it. He's not. He'd probably in the. Would he be the third best Bond? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, there you go. Um, speaking of courses, and this is a bit of a segue back. Um, you can bring that back. Do you like Bonville? The, the ladies' masters were played there. Weather interrupted. It looked spectacular on TV. I shouldn't say anything. You know, okay, no, right, no. I, I went there once, and and well, I yeah, no, I, I, I'm only going to get oh. I mean, there's an 800 kilometer drive between the eighth green and the ninth. Team. All the players are in carts. The players are in carts. I mean, I mean, for me, I think a golf course needs to be walkable to be judged as a golf course. If you can't walk it realistically, then it's just a collection of holes. So I, it was rated 30 in the 30s. 35. I mean, don't tell me it's a better course than Grange West. Please don't. You know, where was Grange West and golf? 40, 44. Yeah, I mean, just come on. I mean, seriously. What are you. So it's, a, it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is such a minefield where it's a I know, yeah. so we, we, should, know. we shouldn't yeah, go there but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it while we're talking about the um, Golf Digest rankings and you can argue about the merits of this stuff all your life but noteworthy amongst the the um, rankings that were released last week four courses from either King Island and or Tasmania thoughts on that? I think it's the most significant thing that's happened in Australian golf since Royal Melbourne was built since Mackenzie came here was that Tasmania, which formerly had two courses just in the top 100, Tasmania and Royal Hobart, has four public golf courses in the top 10 in the country. Yeah. I mean, staggering that... That's the thing. Anyone can get on this. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I dispute the, the worthiness of Alison, not as a great course or whatever, but I don't care about Alison because I can't no play can there. Play it. No, and, no. And, and Cathedral Lodge the same. I mean, no one can get on there. So there can be no critical judgment or mm. argument about their merit. So mm. they just, Alliston gets rated top 10, but no one can discuss it because no one can see it. Mm. So sure, it's a golf course, but why is it there at all? <clears throat> but you've got Bamboogle, which you know, I love Richard Sattler for doing it. He, I think he's one of the most significant people in the history of Australian golf is that his green fee is still 100 bucks. 14 years after it opened. The <laughs> green fee's never changed. For the first time ever, Australian golfers can play two courses ranked in the top 50 in the world. Yeah, no, it's a fen- it's a phenomenal, it's incredible, it's it really remarkable. Is. Yeah, it really so, is. So, the, the mo- Golf Australia's ranking, which I happen to think is more accurate than Golf Digest's, but they've both got the four Tasmanian courses ranked in the top ten in the country, which is a staggering, unthinkable achievement. Fifteen years ago, no one would have believed that was ever possible. Can I just give your home club a pat on the back here, Hazy? You put out a picture this week on Twitter. About and there's all sorts of stuff, you know, the white paper on getting the GA white paper on getting you know women and girls into the game by 2025. RNA this week put out a similar edict that they want to you know get yep. families and females into the game. Well, your club, your golf club, we had the pleasure of doing the longest stay there last year, which was a joyful experience given the hospitality of the club. Uh, they're doing everything right down yeah, there at Curlewis. Set up a few weeks ago, opened the range at Curlewis. And, you know, yes, it is my club, so hand up there, um, you know, bias alert. But on last Friday, I wanted to go down there with my with my beautiful partner, Angela, and we went down there to have, and to have dinner, which is a thing in itself. We had dinner and a drink, and we had to wait at about 7.30. We had to wait about three quarters of an hour to get a hit in a bay uh, at a driving range which is absolutely teeming with babies in prams and girls of 20 years old and in the completely different 
non-golf attire traditionally. Uh, there were guys, there were girls, there was food, there was wine, there was a music blaring. It was not blaring, just playing. Enough, yeah, it yeah. was fantastic. It was like a great community hub that golf courses and golf clubs could and should be. And I put it out there on Twitter, and I I was absolutely staggered, Andy, by the response. And the, and the, I think um, people can actually see what golf could become. Mm. Um, and and it's huge kudos to Kerr Lewis for making that happen. Uh, there's a message there for everybody, I reckon. Uh, the Roger Bannister file. We're we're going to strike. We're going to we're going to institute the Roger Bannister file. We're going to put people in there who are n- notorious for slow play, and we're calling it Clates the Roger Bannister file because. Because JB Holmes, who took four minutes and ten seconds to lay up his second shot when he needed an eagle to tie in the Tory Pines tournament a few weeks ago, wondered what all the hullabaloo was about. And somebody on Twitter came back and said, JB, Roger Bannister ran a mile quicker than it took you to hit that shot. So it's a Roger Bannister file. So we're going to put Webb Simpson in it this week. Uh, Great (laughs) Wayne Riley, who... Is Wayne Riley? Uh, he on Sky Sports over in the UK, uh, who had the misfortune of following Webb Simpson in the final round at the Honda, was asked to, and for about five holes, was saying this bloke's a joke. He's, what he's doing is unfair on the rest of the tournament, uh, the rest of the players in the field. He's taking so long. Uh, he said to his colleagues on Sky Sports, "Watch Webb Simpson. I'd rather stick needles in my eyes," <laughs> is what Wayne Riley said about Webb Simpson. Okay, something needs to be done about the ball. We acknowledge that. Something needs to be done about this. And there are other players who are saying this. I mean, Paul Laurie put out a tweet mm. during the week saying just hashtag two-stroke penalty. I mean, yeah. this is there is a movement amongst the players at the elite level to do something about this. Surely it's time for the administrators to yeah. listen to them. Well, the problem is that Bernard Langer had two routines. When he was on the clock, he would play to... 35 seconds. I think the rule in Europe was 45 seconds if you were first to play, then 35 seconds after that. So Langer would, if he was on the clock, he just, he was Spot always up. within the time. Yep. And then as soon as he was off the clock, he went back to his, so, and, and they're all experts at doing what they need to do. You know, it's just a, in the end, it's a, the players need to solve the problem themselves. You can't, I mean, maybe you can legislate it, but in the end, you know, you give a guy a two shot, give, give, give JB Holmes a two shot penalty on that 18th fairway and watch the world blow up. Because they'll say unfair or they'll say good? Well, some would say good. Some would say, well, you know, would, well he'll go crazy for a start. Who cares? But, but, but I, you know, I, and the problem with handing out penalties, you've got to be, you've got to be consistent and hand them out the same over the board from Thursday morning to Sunday yeah, afternoon. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's a tricky, and the, fi- the fines don't mean anything. You know, I mean, I think, the Golf Victoria, I've been on Michelle Huey for this, who runs a lot of events at Golf Victoria, run a tournament with a shotgun finish. So every so every group gets four hours to finish. And every five minutes over four hours is a one-shot penalty. Every five minutes under four hours, you take one shot off your score. And I'll guarantee you every single person will finish inside four hours. So there's, there's only one reason for slow play, and that's players playing slowly. It's yeah. as, the, yeah. as the shop window of golf... It's incumbent upon the PGA Tour to do something about this. This is it's ridiculous because it screws everything up. We talk about Kalua a second ago. The fundamental building blocks of golf and golf clubs rely on people getting around there and not getting bored with golf. Six-hour rounds of golf is absolute nonsense. I want to use other words that I am, you know, unable to. That's absolute nonsense. And as such, JB Holmes, as a moment, is the captain of the Bannister file. So we're chucking in. Webb Simpson's in there. And who do we put in last week? Uh, it was a 
Yeah, there was someone else. Uh, we'll come back to that yeah, in a we'll, second. We'll, we'll, but we'll, this, yeah. this file is not going to take any prisoners. We'll, we'll end up with a, a full cast this yeah, year. We and will. Going the other way, we should have a Usain Bolt file too, shouldn't we? Okay, yeah. To, as a praise? Well, someone is Who great. do we like? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, uh, the Australian guy. Uh, Matt Jones. He's unbelievable. Yeah, he's he flies. Yeah, he's brilliant. Ridiculous. Love watching Matt yeah. Jones. It's great. Blakey Watkins was that. He was Blakey the, misses him all the time at the Australian Open. I'm here following Matt. Oh, he's already hit the shot, Blakey. <laughs> Blakey can't believe Matt how Jones, fast he Matt plays. Matt Jones is great. He's, he's the best. Yeah. Um, anything else before we wrap it up? Yeah. Big shout out to a couple of people. Robin Choi for being the leading Australian at the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific. I think I got the right title <laughs> order up in the inaugural event inaugural event at Sentosa last week. Um, not a great performance by the Australian girls, but they shone as the week went on. So I think that they learned a lot as they went on. So that's great. Great exposure and at that level of tournament for a few of them for the first time. Robin Choi from Queensland University of Colorado was the best uh, Australian player. A couple over the card and one shot outside the top 10. But hats off to the name who I hopefully got right last week, and if not, I'll butcher it again right now, a Tyatitical from Thailand. 15 years of age, Andy, last Tuesday, and she won, and she's now getting into two major championships. Awesome achievement. Uh, Phenomenal. Um, Shout out to um, a few Australian guys who did really well uh, at the NZPGA as the NZ Open kicks off this week, but Dean Lawson's getting really close to a big win there. Ash Hall, um, not far away, but I took great note of um, Antonio Madaka, who stormed home to finish fifth, shot what would have been a course record by um, Preferred Lies at um, the course in Palmerston North there. And just great signs that a guy we had high hopes for three or four years ago hasn't thrown in the towel. Bryden McPherson style, he's still punching away. Yeah, absolutely. Big shout out to Antonio Madaka. And a little thanks to Eddie Pepperell, who is good for golf, uh, wins uh, over on the European Tour last week. But it was not only the win that he had, but the subsequent yeah. social media engagement yeah. thereafter, which is just a joy to behold. Um, and we have to get him down to Australia. Yeah. Well, we need to get him on the podcast. I've got his number. so I'll, Can you get him on one day? I'll try and get him on. Yeah, I've never spoken to him. But Huggy oh. gave me his number, so I must. we should get him on because he's, he's the best. I'll mean. be disappointed if he's no good. If, he is, if he's a poor chat, I'll be about as flat as I've ever been. For anyone who doesn't follow Eddie Pepperell's blog, get onto his blog. It's he's a superstar. He's How was the reaction superstar. of his home club, that video? Oh, mate, it was great. That was just one of the great videos that you'll see this year. When he rolls in a little short part to seal his, his win, his maiden victory, that was awesome. The yeah. club's going nuts. And he's clearly loved by yeah. the other pros because yeah. you can just tell you know, from, from all of them, they just embrace the win. First of many, you know, he's just good for golf, that fella, and um, we should make a note of it. Yeah. Hazy, I'll we, see you next week. We can put him in the John Rahm. Who's the other, who's the other one? Justin Thomas? Justin oh, Thomas. Good for golf. John yeah. Rahm, Eddie yeah. Pepperell. Let's there get these guys to the Australian Open, and they blow up, and they all, all of a sudden they cost too much. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is true. We need to get them. And we encourage people, actually... Clayton and I have been talking about this. People we sort of had on our radar, we'd love to get down. And now, as he says, their price is through the roof and we can't get them. So I really want people to take note of someone they see who's got big scope to be something in the yeah. future and point it out to us at Inside the Underscore Ropes on Twitter. And we're going to keep tabs on it. Yeah, the problem is you need to get John Rahm before he becomes John Rahm. That's the yeah, problem. No, this I is... mean, John Rahm becomes John Rahm and the manager goes, who's a million dollars? Yeah. Well, he's out. So we want, we want people to be talent scouts for us, basically. I think that'd be fantastic. Uh, Hazy, good work. Clates, lovely. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. Enjoy Thanks it. for tuning in. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 32, folks. We'll be back next week to do it all again.